Welcome to Talking New Energy, a podcast from Delta EE, the new energy experts. We'll be talking about how the energy transition is developing across Europe, with guests who are working at the leading edge of this transition. Hello, and welcome to the episode. Today, we're taking a step into the investment world. Change and disruption in the energy transition means opportunity. And there's no shortage of startups, new entrants, and emerging companies seeking to capture these opportunities. But these companies typically require cash to grow and have an impact in the transition to a cleaner, greener future. So that cash often comes from investors. And today we're going to look uh, at what it's like from an investor perspective. And to explore this, I'm joined by two people who've been investing in the energy sector for many, many years together with one of my Delta EE colleagues who's been working with both startups and investors alike. So without further ado, let's introduce our guests. My first guest is Rene Salversberg, CEO and co-founder of Set Ventures, a specialist investment company in the energy transition based in Amsterdam. Hello, Rene. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Um, Rene, you co-founded Set Ventures 13 years ago, and your company's grown a lot. Can you give our listeners a pen portrait of Set Ventures today? Yeah, well, um, in, indeed, we uh, we started in 2007 uh, with our first fund. Um, uh, currently, we are investing out of our third fund, um, which uh, uh, has the size of 100 million, uh, the third fund. Um, we focus still on uh, energy transition even though uh, we label it as uh, the energy system transition. Um, I can explain that uh, definitely somewhat uh, further later on in this podcast, Um, but uh, we believe that that is where the right right excitement is right now to invest in companies. And can you give our listeners a feel of roughly, you you mentioned 100 million, your third fund. Can you give our listeners a feel of of how many companies you've invested in, how many you've maybe exited from, uh, to give a sense of uh, how active you've been? Yeah, we are we are close to 25 investments that we have done over the 13 years. Uh, we have uh, exited uh, uh, about half of those uh, so far. Um, some successful, some a little bit less successful, uh, like always in our industry. Uh, but we are very happy with the uh, overall performance uh, and. Uh, Obviously, we have a couple of very interesting companies still in the in our portfolio that we are working hard with to uh, to achieve our uh, our objectives. And can you give us an example or two of your successes or companies in your portfolio that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, well, the, the, I think it's uh, it's known that uh, Zonnen in uh, Germany, uh, a company that we invested in the uh, in the B round. Um, has become a successful uh, company not only uh, from an investment perspective but also in the market as this is now part of uh, shell uh, mm-hmm. uh, bringing um, uh, home batteries uh, to life uh, in a virtual power plant plant which is definitely one of our successes in in our portfolio but also very early on if i may add to it very early on we already actually a company in the ev charging business in 2011 we sold that company to abb uh, which I think was very much ahead of the pack of everybody being in the electric vehicle. So um, we can be proud of that. Yeah, not not quite a decade ahead, but not far off, Rene, maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Thanks, Renny. We'll come back to you shortly. Let's introduce our second guest, Charles Vasslet, a partner at Emerald Technology Ventures in Zurich. Hello, Charles. Hi, John. Hi, Renny. Nice to be on this podcast as well. Looking forward to the discussion. Um, thanks, Charles. Um, you've been around similar-ish time, a, a bit longer than Set Ventures, and uh, at Emerald, your focus is a bit wider, isn't it, than energy? Can you give, likewise, give our listeners a pen portrait of Emerald in terms of your your focus, your size? Yeah, that's right, John. Um, you know, we were founded um, in 2000, so we're 20 years old. I actually joined the firm in 2004 after a career in the energy sector. Do you remember what um, we, number of employee you were with them, Charles? Oh, well, uh, it was actually part of a larger group then, uh, mm -hmm. which we later separated from. That was Sam. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, originally it was around sustainability and energy. And then we've broadened out, as you said, to kind of cover advanced materials, uh, water technologies, now uh, industrial IT, mobility, circular solutions, and actually a little bit of food and ag as well. Um, and obviously, we're looking for to support entrepreneurially-led early stage and expansion stage companies uh, in Europe, North America, and now in Asia, uh, with a new office opening up in uh, Singapore. And number of investments or amount invested as a sort of indicator of your activity? Yeah, so we have um, we have a, a, a Evergreen Fund, which is the Emerald Industrial Innovation Fund. Uh, that's 135 million euros, but it basically grows as we add add new investors. Um, we've got uh, 25 uh, corporate LPs, very diverse in nature and sector and interests, etc. In that fund. Um, we just closed uh, 100 million US water fund as well, and we're looking to start other kind of thematic uh, funds as well. Okay, thanks very much. Um, my final guest is Delta EE colleague Charmaine Coutinho. Hello, Charmaine. Hi, John. Uh, welcome back to the podcast after uh, a while since you've joined us. <laughs> a brief hiatus. Yeah. Um, now, we've been involved at Delta in uh, quite a lot of work, both for startups and companies seeking investment and those seeking to invest in the energy transition. Um, can you give us a, an example of something that's really stuck in your mind from maybe an investor or an investee side? Yeah, so um, from an investor side, I think what was a really interesting example is we um, were asked to give support on pre-investment in a in a heating technology. So at Delta, we've been researching heating for a long, long time. Uh, and for me, that was really fascinating because this company has been around for a long time and very vocal in the marketplace and really being able to help the um, kind of really portray the picture of what that company is trying to do uh, and where they sit in the market based on accessing all these kind of years of experience it was really nice to see you know the heat transition starting to gather some pace or at least some interest from a financial perspective um so that was quite nice on both sides actually really because we needed a company beforehand um and working with investor to help support them in making a sensible decision hopefully um so that that was great uh, and then you know just going back to the past just more of 
just traditional kind of market assessments to make sure that anyone investing in these sectors kind of really understand the dynamics, the trends, the kind of the history as well, as well as kind of where all these companies could be going in the future. Well, maybe Renee and Charles, I'll just ask you on that point. In terms of understanding the market, one thing that I think is a challenge for investors in energy is the level of complexity in the energy market. Um, the regulations, the policy, the market structures, the dynamics in the market. Maybe it's the same whatever sector you go into, but energy is, I think, particularly complicated. How hard does that make it for for you or how much of a USP does that give you as investors if you're focused on energy? Do you, do you still struggle sometimes with those complexities? Um, is it hard to really identify those compelling companies when mm. energy is such a complex area? Well, I totally agree with you. I, I, I applaud uh, always investors that have a very broad scope and need to understand a lot of sectors in detail in order to make decisions. And we had said we focus uh, uh, for 100% on what is happening in the energy system uh, as it is evolving uh, as we speak uh, through the transition from fossil fuel to uh, renewables and from um, uh, centralized to decentralized. Um, and, and, and indeed, as you said, Joe, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very complex market where regulatory environments are evolving as we speak. Uh, per country, there is differences um, and, uh, and, and, and opportunities uh, that are working in one country will never uh, fly in another. So knowing those granularities is, is something that, uh, that is very uh, needed in order to make right decisions. Um, and, uh, and we are specializing in that, we are focusing on that, we're doing our, our, di our dives, our studies in, in these areas uh, in order to, to educate ourselves and prepare ourselves for the right investments at the right time. Mm. And how do, you, does, how do you find that, Renny? Do you ever look at investments and think, even though you're a specialist in this area, you think, wow, there's just too much I don't understand here? Or over the years, do you find that you you can understand the risks and the uh, what you need to understand in the energy sector to to really evaluate investment well, opportunities. I agree with your complexity. It is complex uh, at certain level, but if you abstract, uh, you know, it also becomes clear what is happening. So that in itself, I don't think that we are lacking the knowledge about about the um, uh, where the market is going to. But what is always difficult, and that counts for every investment and every sector that you're investing in, is the timing of when things are happening. So the timing issue of uh, of uh, when, when when companies with great propositions will really you know hit the market and start scaling up, uh, that is that is something that I'm still uh, you know worried about that we sometimes miss it. Either you know we are too conservative or sometimes we are too uh, optimistic, but timing that is uh, is issues is an is the issue. Okay, Charles, how do you you see that? Because you're a little wider than just energy. Um, do you have to be master of a few trades rather than just one? Yeah, so every industry I think we touch is going through a transition, whether it's an energy transition or a circular economy transition or a digital transition or um, you know kind of changes in 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 environment, uh, you know climate change obviously imposing pretty uh, ambitious goals on on many corporations who are kind of seeking to get to you know to reduce uh, emissions significantly so um and and that's a point you know that's the that's a struggle because it's 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 not 
clearly the regulations today it's the regulations tomorrow and uh you know as this industry transition regulations will either be ahead or behind and uh, and obviously regulations will change um you know geographically as well so some uh, you know, some nations or states or super nations will be moving at, at different paces. So, you know, it's it's critical to, to try and understand not just the just not just the market today, but how you think that's going to um, uh, continue. For example, you know, is our regulated or you know um, utility owned but regulated um, companies in the U.S. utility sector is that a sustainable business model? Um, you know, or are we going to see greater deregulation, as we saw 20 years ago, kind of re-emerging as the necessity for these uh, kind of um, you know um, companies, which are almost guaranteed a profit, um, kind of goes away? So I, I just think there's going to be enormous change, and it's it's that's also needs to be understood. Okay, well, let's come back to this uh, area of risk and uncertainty and regulations in a bit. I'd like to ask you both first from about investment opportunities. So um, I'm constantly amazed by how many new entrants there are trying to find their way into the energy sector. But in terms of investment opportunities coming across your desk do you do you struggle for opportunities are you swamped and overwhelmed by opportunities can you give our listeners a feel for for the volume of opportunities in the energy sector that you're seeing yeah well if i may, may answer that um you know consistently over the years we see about uh, you know uh, north of 700 uh, propositions uh, per year uh, coming to uh, to us in amsterdam um and um, that number is not changing. Uh, what is changing, though, is that uh, more and more of these propositions are all geared towards what we call smart energy solutions. So uh, solutions that uh, propositions that have a digital component in it, in, a, in its business model, software driven, um, and, uh, and are working uh, along that axis to, uh, to make the energy system transition happen. Um, uh, and that is an encouraging um, uh, event that, that we see more and more of those type of companies coming to us uh, that are at the heart of where we feel um, the opportunities are for an investor like us. That's quite a, so 700 a year. And from what you said in your introduction, you've made around 25 investments over 13 years. Now, I know that won't be evenly spaced, but that averages two a year. So uh, you're not you're not short of opportunities. That sounds like a, a, quite a challenge to evaluate those 700. How many would you say of those 700 do you really then look at seriously over the course of a year? Yeah, I, I would say, uh, you know, uh, between 10 and 20%. Uh, by the way, I was, want to stipulate that we look at all of them. We have a weekly meeting yep. in which we discuss all the things that come in. So we quickly sh shift between those that um, uh, are uh, worth further uh, investigation and then if they're really interesting, we bring them to a proposal and then we execute later on uh, on the deal. And that is indeed, as you say, it's a, that's a low number, the last one, because we have to be very uh, uh, picky uh, and timing is everything on on, uh, on on this. Yeah. Charles, are those numbers similar to you or do you, you have a, a different experience? 
Yeah, I think I think it's really important as an investor have a have a consistent and systematic uh, process. And you know, it's taken us years to kind of develop. You know, how do we shift through the fifteen hundred deals that we see per year, of which about half are kind of kind of pure energy related. Some are kind of energy and water, uh, etc. But you know, sh shifting through that amount of deal flow. Um, and we probably reach out to about half of them to actually speak to the company. We have these kind of informal tire kicking sessions with the team, and then obviously a three gate process, uh, you know, to get from 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 that number. So we use the same kind of uh, pipeline. We're trying to also find interesting companies for our for our LPs because uh, they're also interested in kind of what's going on uh, in this deal flow. So. Um, similar numbers to Rene. I mean, we're 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 basically, from an investment perspective, reviewing kind of 10 to 20 percent, um, and uh, and probably discussing a similar amount, uh, you know, with our with our LPs. Now, obviously, not the same deal we discuss with every LP because they have different um, interests. But yeah, it's a lot of reviewing, writing up, processing. And if you haven't got a systematic process for that, you won't identify those few companies uh, which will basically carry the fund performance. Joe, sure. sure. maybe I can add to that because I think uh, if you are a, a focused uh, fund manager like, like we are, you know, obviously not every deal is a complete new deal that you have to start studying uh, from scratch. In those mm. 700 that we see on a yearly basis, there's quite some overlap because smart people are everywhere in every country and uh, entrepreneurs are uh, arising in every country with uh, similar ideas. So we can very much plot them into a, a certain bucket of, uh, of, uh, of you know, what they want to do and, and similarities, and therefore quickly uh, scan uh, uh, the, the good from the bad. Um, and, and that is an efficiency that you, can, that you get while you are a, a focused fund on a certain uh, a sector, which in our case is then the energy system transition. Yeah, but it isn't okay. cheap, John. It's it's expensive, no. right? If you if you think about the amount of time we spend, I would say about you know probably maybe twenty percent of our opex, maybe a little bit more, is really just going through this deal flow. So it's mm. you know it's thousands of dollars per deal of uh, kind of resources which are spent, um, you know, trying to you know uh, assess, write up, discuss. Uh, amongst the team, um, you know, through this solution, and uh, I think a lot of people kind of um, don't necessarily understand that um, when they start a you know new fund in the sector. Yeah, that they're going to have no this volume of opportunity to evaluate and understand. Um, now we may have some listeners to this uh, episode of the podcast who are considering pitching to to uh, you, Renee and Charles. Um, what advice would you give them? And then to Charmaine, what what challenges do you see from working with some of these startups? Uh, so let's start with Rennie and Charles in terms of biggest single bit of advice to someone that has got a startup that needs uh, investment and is going to pitch to you. What would you say to them? Well, I. I, I... I prepared this question because uh, I, I, and actually it was on our uh, internal discussion the other day. You know, the single, sim, you know, in any event, pitches should be simple. 
Um, so the more si the more simple you can bring your message across, the better it is. Obviously, that, that is there's number. But the number one thing is explain very carefully from the get go who you as a new company, a startup, are going to send invoices to. Who is who is the one that you know has to sign on the other side of the okay for your invoice? Uh, as long as that is not clear, uh, and, and I tell you, in 99 of the 100, that's not that's not on the table of any pitch. If that's wow. not clear, yeah, no, because people start talking about how great they do the things that they do and how complex the market is and where they solve the problem. Mm -hmm. But I always wonder, you know, and then in the end, you know, who are you have a solution? Who are you sending the invoice to? Who is sitting on the other side there, uh, being your customer and signing off on that invoice? I would agree with oh, that, John. Um, yeah, sorry, I uh, just I feel so strongly about um, that. <laughs> we've been we've been helping some startups with their investor packs and investor pitches. And quite a lot of them, not all of them, are technical. So they come from engineering backgrounds. So they see a gap, a technical gap in the engineering system, uh, and they've got this great idea. Uh, and they go straight to the detail of that rather than saying, and we're going to sell it to these people, these are our customers, and this is what it is in one line. Um, and I kind of, you kind of want to direct them all to reading like startup.com is the top 10 <laughs> list, isn't it? But um, but it is, it is, it is the one thing we have seen is just, no one's people are interested in you but actually how are you going to make money and if you don't know how do you think you're going to make money um and keeping that really simple really i think that's the biggest challenge people have let me expand on that a little bit because yeah. i also think you know if you're selling to anybody and in some respects a pitch to an investor is a sales process right mm -hmm. you know take the time to understand you know, what the fund does, what the fund has historically invested in, who are the people, who's the decision makers, you know, uh, you know, think about how you're going to progress this um, through that organization. How can I help them to make this easy for them to decide, you know, one way or the other, if this is an interesting uh, a proposition. The other thing I would say is it's storytelling. And, mm. you know, to kind of build on Rene's point, you know, boiling it down to simple uh, message is actually very difficult you know it's easy actually to just stuff you know 20 30 slides of technical diagrams and and whatever but actually boiling it down into this kind of story make it you know make somebody care about what you're doing make it interesting and make it human and I think then you can kind of you know you can kind of connect uh, with the investors so they they understand how you're going to make a difference you know, not just for them, but, you know, in the application that you're doing, um, you know, for for the customers that you're looking to serve. Well, two things really strike me from what all three of you said. One is customer centricity and how that's, I keep talking about this with lots of different people, but the energy sector still really is, lacks uh, customer centricity in many ways. And that's the same that I'm hearing now about uh, treating you the invest. Uh, both treating you, the investor, as their customer and giving you a really simple story and being clear who their customer is. And the, the second is keeping it simple. Uh, I think people love to make things complex, uh, but keeping things really simple. Um, so if you are thinking of pitching for investment and you're listening to this podcast, hopefully that's of help. Um, I'd like now to spend a bit of time looking at how how easy or hard it is to succeed as uh, investors. And 
clean tech I know is different from what each of you two do, but clean tech came out of the 2000s with quite a tarnished reputation. So, uh, yeah, how how successful have your funds been? And what are the biggest challenges? You talked about the regulatory risk. Is that the biggest challenge or would you highlight another really big challenge for for an investor to succeed? Rene, do you want to go first with that? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, well, the fact that the clean tech sector became out a little bit tarnished, as you said, has had to do with the fact that everybody believed that you could uh, flip a, a, a capital intensive business into a venture capital model and then make great returns. That That is what clean tech, uh, clean tech suffered at large. Uh, we are now uh, obviously in a different era and, 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 and investors like us have moved to the digital uh, part of the equation. Uh, uh, where uh, we will, with asset light and recurring revenue models, we, we want to attract that, uh, that, that, uh, that success. But the biggest, uh, the two biggest issues we, we see is, the, is still the timing of the market. Uh, as I said before, um, uh, markets in, uh, are diff different in every country still in the energy sector, which is coming out of a regulated environment into a free environment. Technology is changing rapidly. Uh, and, and, and predicting the market when it's picked up uh, uh, is, is still uh, uh, the issue. And the second and, one... And, and and regulation is one part of that timing, isn't it? You've mentioned regulation, yeah, but yeah, yeah. the technology, customer, uh, it's a whole range of things affecting that timing. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's definitely not only legislation, uh, absolutely, in a regulatory environment. It, it is also consumer attitude towards, you know, uh, the appreciation of, of an energy transition and, and willing to pay for that, absolutely. The second part of, 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 of any of the market that we are in is that we are moving away from this engineering driven to uh, really a, a business driven environment where the, the, the points that we made in the earlier in, in the previous topic on what is important in a pitch uh, being consumer centric, customer centric and know what you are selling uh, is becoming more apparent now than it was ever before. So um, we, that still is an issue. Good teams with experience in the sector um, are needed. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Renee. Yeah, maybe I, I think. That, yeah, I kind of think of it the same, but I, I always think of it slightly, you know, one level up. I mean, we, we are asset managers or fund managers, so you know, it's really important for us to, you know, understand that there's that there are no single silver bullets. There's, there's very few unicorns in this sector, mm. right? So you've you've, you've got to construct a, a portfolio of you know diverse investments you know diverse by you know sector stage geography time you know just making sure that there's no one event which is going to basically hit more than kind of one or two companies at any one time then think about how you construct that individual investment you know what size of syndicate do you want uh, how many new investors versus existing investors can you ensure that that syndicate has enough money to carry you through the next round so you know things don't progress uh, as Rennie was saying your market kind of comes later and you can't raise external monies at the price that you want does the current syndicate have the powder to basically uh, you know take the company through to uh, cash flow break even build relationships with with your board members your management team you know don't wait until the crisis which will inevitably happen you need to establish those relationships. You need to work on those relationships. You need to meet people, dine with them, you know, you know, just 
you know, engage with them uh, because at one point there will be um, a shock. You know, either something goes off the rails, uh, the economy changes, um, and you, and at that point you need to, you know, you need to come together and work together. Yeah. Okay. So there's two points there, Charles. The portfolio approach that uh, don't focus just on one narrow part of the market, but have a portfolio. And secondly, your investors, uh, they'll need to go through hard times. Uh, so uh, making sure that you've got the firepower to act on opportunities when you see it. Um, Charmaine, mm -hmm. there's more and more activity from, I guess, a range of investors in the energy transition. Anyone stand out to you as uh, sort of starting to invest in addition to companies like Rene and Charles's companies? Well, I mean, I wouldn't say anyone particular stands out um, to me. I mean, there's, we've seen a lot of our clients who are kind of in the corporate venture capital, which I find interesting anyway, because the dynamic that causes a big corporate to set up an um, uh, investment team, why they do that, I find quite interesting. But um, from, from that group of people, I think <clears throat> um, NLX is quite interesting just because they've gone beyond energy quite substantially in the way they look at their innovation hubs and their innovation programs. So I think they're quite they're quite interesting um, and starting to merge into that kind of circular economy piece that, that Charles mentioned. Um, so yeah, I find those interesting. I actually, I think the biggest thing for me, I've been working in the sector for about 15 years and it's really great to see people uh, articulating things like, oh, ESG is now the most in one of the drivers that's speeding everything up in the investment sector around energy. And I don't really like ESG as a, a reason for for doing something. So when I say ESG, I mean environmental, social and governance. Um, such a weird phrase, but um, it is really refreshing to see that kind of speed of change across all investor types. So I find that quite encouraging, really. And Rene and Charles, do you see the interest in ESG sustainability? Is that dragging? Dragging, that's a bit of a negative way of saying it. Is that bringing, encouraging more and more investment into this space? Are you getting more competition? Um, or is there still, is there a lack of investment in this space? How, how do you see it? Yeah, so I, you know, I don't see it yet, but I think it's, it's, it's certainly uh, appearing in markets that we work in. So, for example, in the built environment, you know, buildings, you know, all of a sudden, you know, um, you know, uh, landlords, private equity firms, uh, you know, real estate companies are really focused in on ESG. Um, and that's just not new build, that's existing build. So obviously that's, that's, a, that's creating a demand for products that, you know, we're, we're looking to invest in. Um, so I do see the pull of that. I see some institutional investors, um, you know, stipulating ESG policies to fund managers and, you know, and we do that. Um, yeah. But I don't think that's necessarily driving investment yet into VC funds. No, okay. Rene, how about you? Do you see uh, ESG bringing more investment money into the sector or not yet? Is this still too complicated and specialised for, for more generalist investors? Um, um, no, well, SEP Ventures has started uh, an ESG policy and, and, and toolkit and, and working with our portfolio companies on ESG already for seven years 
So uh, we were one of the earliest adapters of that. Uh, and we believe that uh, applying ESG principles to uh, running a, a, a company of any size, whether it's a startup or, or a conglomerate, uh, a huge conglomerate, uh, you have to apply very simple business principles around ESG in order to survive in any case. So we don't think that is in itself a, a driver. What is a driver is, is impact investing. So putting money that will really make where the output of the effort, output of the investment is really creating an impact on, for instance, the environment. Uh, and then you start calculating, uh, for instance, CO2 uh, reductions, et cetera. And that matrix is, is becoming a very, very important driver for new entrances into the sector to, uh, to really show that we not only uh, focus on, uh, on the financial return, but also in, uh, focus on making real impact in the transition that we want to achieve. Because we don't transition because we want to transition. We transition with the energy sector towards something that is more sustainable. Yep. And that measuring yep. so that is important. So if you can measure that accurately, then you can see in over time, you'll get more and more impact investors looking to, to make a difference in the energy sector. Yeah. Um, okay, now it's time's getting the better of us. We could talk a lot more about impact investing and ESG, but that's probably a different podcast altogether. Mm -hmm. um, so let's bring out the Talking New Energy crystal ball and set the dial uh, this week to 2030. My question to each of you is this. So uh, I mentioned clean tech investing a bit different to energy investing, but uh, clean tech investing came out of the 2000s with a bit of a tarnished reputation. Um, how will energy transition or energy investing emerge in the 2020s? So if we're in 2030 and we look back in the 2020s to energy investing, uh, what does the next 10 years hold? And Rennie and Charles, I fully expect you to say that uh, in 2030, we'll be looking back and the energy tech will have been a huge success in the 2020s. Um, so if that is your answer, then maybe give, a, give me a, a, a reason why. So how successful will energy investing be in the 2020s and why is the question. Uh, Rene, let's start with you. Well, I, 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 I remember re recently somebody told me that um, uh, really big money is now going into in infrastructure uh, around uh, uh, a new energy um, uh, distribution and, uh, and, and deployment of uh, all kinds of uh, tools to make electrification possible. Um, think mm -hmm. only about uh, charging EVs. Um, a lot of money is going into the, in that infrastructure. So we, we're getting to, we're going to a, a, a moment in history where this transition is really deployable. Um, uh, and, and, the, and the transition is based around, obviously, like I said, the sustainability, electrification, and, uh, and digitalization. And that is happening as we speak uh, in the 20s. So I foresee that that indeed is the year, these are the years where uh, the, we can, um, uh, with innovations, very much contribute to that and make the returns that we, that we want. But I also, and, and it's part of our thesis of, of our investment uh, uh, fund, is that we see new entrances into the energy systems, companies that uh, uh, historically did not take part in the energy system actively. Um, and just to give an example of that, and, and Charles mentioned just the, the, the build environment, but uh, the mobility sector is one that is going to be a major player uh, in the energy uh, system going forward. Um, uh, as will be all the oil and gas majors that are making transitions into this space. So 
what the, the ones that I would be the most worried about are maybe the, the, the traditional energy retailers. They have to transition themselves very, very uh, swiftly. Um, uh, but they will be confronted with a lot of new uh, propositions that they have to compete with uh, for their customers. It's going to be a fascinating competition in the next years, I agree. Um, Charles, 2020, yeah, will like, that be a decade of success for energy? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think, I think so, exactly. We've been working so long and hard at it, but now it's, it's, it's maturing, right? I mean, you know, wind, solar, kind of the, you know, the, have been dominant in new additions uh you know in europe north america um you know i think i think paris made such a big impact the fact that you have to do this kind of re reviews every five five years which basically means that people have to question their long-term investments in 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 fossil fuels so i think that you know that the prices have just come down i'm not just talking solar wind batteries but i'm talking computation edge computing yeah. digital storage um the cost of connecting uh things so you know all these kind of multiple revolutions um you would think of them as quite distinct you know utilities mobility it but they've actually all come together and now we're going to add on to that kind of heating and storage uh in homes and industry etc etc so you know it's it's just one you know what was quite siloed industries have now kind of crashed together and i think that's why it's and so that, exciting and i think that's why it's going to be a successful decade so lots of opportunity from all this disruption uh and innovation charmaine how about yourself uh you you're maybe not so invested in the investor sector uh <laughs> but uh how do you see this decade for investing in in the energy sector so i think i think um this kind of touches on, on renee's point which is really where it comes to all this all this investment whether it's in infrastructure or in organizations or in startups comes to being kind of much more mainstream commercially in homes and businesses so the presence of these assets or whatever that they are actually enables them to start making money, um, I suppose. And I think this is the decade because if if you look back retrospectively with what could have happened in the 2010s, I just don't I just don't think consumer interest or understanding that sounds a bit harsh, I sound like a classic energy sector saying the consumers don't understand, but I don't mean that. I just don't think all the um uh factors are there at the right timing and at the yeah. right with the right technology at the right cost point um and i guess the stars the way, weren't aligning the right. in the way yeah. that they're aligning now so um yeah so it's a real tipping yeah. point i think i think it's a tipping point yeah um well there's certainly going to be lots and lots of change over the next 10 years and renee and charles i guess you've you've been at this for so long, doing it for so many years that you're well positioned with the experience you've got to, to capitalize on that. But I would say there's, um, well, what I hope is we see more and more investors coming into the space, more and more capital to help fuel the energy transition. And at the end, end of the decade, we'll see who's coming out on top. Um, it's been a fascinating discussion, one which we could uh, look at from a number of different angles in future podcasts, and we will do that maybe again with you, Renee and Charles, welcoming you back to discuss some different different angles. But thanks very much for your time. Uh, Renee, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Pleasure. And um, um, hope to, uh, to connect with you again soon.
Likewise, and Charles, thanks for joining us from Zurich. Yeah, thanks a lot. It was great to discuss with you and Charmaine and, and Rene, of course. And um, yeah, just wishing that uh, we get through this uh, current COVID situation so we can meet in person. Yeah, likewise. Uh, Charmaine, thanks for coming back to the podcast uh, after a little break. And as always, thanks to everyone for listening. And we look forward to welcoming you back next week. Thanks and goodbye. If you're as passionate about the energy transition as we are, then please keep in touch. You can follow us and me on Twitter, LinkedIn, or subscribe to the podcasts on your chosen podcast platform. If you like the podcast and like sharing, then please do rate us. And to listen to archived episodes, to read transcripts, and to see the latest Delta EE insights, then please visit www.delta-ee.com. Thank you.